Hello and welcome to Warehouse 69, the Fediverse's finest Warehouse 13 Watch podcast. I'm your host, Princess Grace, and with me as always is my co-host, Timmy. How you doing, Timmy? Pretty good. How are you doing today, Grace? I can't complain. We are about to talk about Season 1, Episode 9, Regrets, and I am about to give the listeners at home a content warning about... This episode has suicide as a plot point. It's... I don't anticipate it'll come up much in our conversation about it, but there are we will be saying the word and talking about it uh, as the it's thing. It's pretty the supernatural... heavily featured in the story. Yeah, that it's the thing this the supernatural event causes. It's pretty heavy shit, and this is we are talking about a propaganda show. You know, you, this should not be news to you. This episode does take place at a prison. We will be talking about that. Uh. Just some stuff to be aware of before we get into discussing the episode proper. Uh, this episode starts with a flashback. I, at first, thought it was, like, already having a flashback, but I do not think that is the case. I think it's just some guy. Yeah, there's no characters that we uh, recognize. There's a grainy and, like, extra vivid sort of color filter over everything. Mm -hmm. It's... It appears to be a party, uh, there's alcohol, uh, and the the guy who the camera's focusing on is turning down drinks, says he hasn't drank in, hasn't drank ha in five years. Hasn't drunk. <laughs> and, uh, it turns out it's a hallucination of him, uh, recalling the, uh, the person he killed drunk driving oh. so that that's really something and he freaks out and uh without ever leaving his hallucination uh jumps over a balcony in this where we've transitioned to a prison this is a heavy fucking episode really heavy start to the episode especially like is this our first on-screen death uh well no well no I don't think so maybe not but it's it kind of feels like it doesn't it I think it's the first death where you're like yeah where you're as in touch with the victim mm -hmm. so yeah probably the first on screen death I, it feels like no no yesterday oh no last no a week guy someone fucking... got beheaded oh yeah and a guy <laughs> like... and a guy fucking died and uh. <laughs> The spine murder episode in Burnout. Oh, and yeah. The dude got, yeah, for sure. Know, and the dude got dropped out of a building in uh, the Native American phase cape episode. Right. I would argue that one is off screen. Yeah. The United they, guy on the other side of a wall. But, like, a dude's head straight up falls off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I forgot about that. <laughs> and that's very on camera. Yeah. It's, it's not really point. gruesome, though. No. It's one of those blades that cauterizes the wound, I guess. Right. <laughs> he doesn't bleed all that much. Yeah, sharpest blade on the face of the earth. <laughs> Can only be handled by the delicate touch of an invisible lesbian. <laughs> uh, yeah, our friend runs into the spooky guilt lady. I kind of thought this guy was Artie. And then we cut to Pete and Micah reading about... Uh, what the hell is going on in this prison? And they are both having flashbacks to the their tragic childhood backstories from the first episode. 
Right. Uh, Micah is literally sitting there looking at the cover sheet of the uh, report from Denver. As we've learned in previous episodes, in Denver, uh, Micah's partner was killed. uh, And we don't have real firm details on what happened. But Micah has been carrying a lot of guilt over the death of her partner. Where we saw hallucinations earlier in the series of her partner showing up. And she just keeps staring at this cover page. Mm -hmm. Unwilling to turn the page and look at what the independent report said about her work. Mm -hmm. She's got a lot of guilt going on about this. Pete walks in with his... uh, his trusty soap on a rope and uh tells Micah that she's going to jail which is a a hell of a thing to say to your coworker who you know is experiencing some shit about the guy who she blames right. herself for the death of like months ago yeah like she hasn't had a whole lot of time to grieve uh and to sort of come to terms with what went on like you don't really get over a death of a uh, close coworker and it's it's at least heavily implied that they may have been somewhat romantically involved yeah especially if like you know you blame yourself for the death on some level right yeah especially uh Micah's whole method to doing her job is to have a plan for everything. It's how she feels in control. Mm-hmm. So when her plan goes south and her partner dies, she carries a lot of grief with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pete makes a, a very tasteful joke about dropping the soap, and uh, they are off to... Do we ever find out where this prison is? Uh, I think don't think they well, name a, it specifically. It is a place where they have tropical storms. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So I want to say Florida, maybe? I don't remember. Riverton Penitentiary in Florida. All right. I don't know. That's probably a fictional penitentiary, but yeah. definitely in Florida. Yeah, I, I googled Riverton Penitentiary, Florida, and uh, I got the Warehouse 13 wiki and uh, the Wikipedia article for the actual Florida State Prison, which is not called that. Right. So. Also, apparently Florida doesn't have any even have any prisons that have the word penitentiary in the name. It's always prison or correctional facility or correctional institution. So Claudia is out doing uh, inventory in the warehouse, as she's expected to do, being uh, whatever she is to the warehouse at this point. Yeah, um, employee? Yeah, not an agent, not a particularly trusted caretaker of the warehouse just yet. She's like an intern. Yeah, she's, she's an assistant, essentially. But she uh, she managed to find uh, Venus de Milo's arms and thought that was quite cool. 
we never learn anything about what sort of effect or uh, properties Venus de Milo's arms might have that have them stored in the warehouse. But apparently they need to be there. Oh, that, that makes sense. I mean, no, it doesn't, but like... Right. I didn't even notice that. That's, that's a good joke. Yeah. And, uh... She's uh, very annoyed at a flickering light bulb, which yeah. is how we uh, get our B-plot for this episode. Yeah. She uh, gets annoyed by the flickering light bulb, uh, goes to talk to Artie, who is uh, playing a song on his, on his piano for his father. And uh, who tell, and tells Claudia, like, leave the light bulb alone. These are magic Shelby bulbs that were invented 200 and some, 100 and some years ago by someone. Will never burn out. So that's really interesting because uh, there is actually one particular, yeah, they're yeah. Adolphe Chalet's Shelby bulbs. And it's supposed to be in reference to the uh, the hundred year old bulb in the uh, yeah the centennial station. light yeah. yeah that's been burning near continuously since 1901. There you go. So yeah, there are uh, there are certainly bulbs out there that will last that long. Yeah. I believe the only reason it was capable of that was it was the earliest implementation of something resembling a modern filament but in such an extremely low wattage for the filament size that it just generally can't burn out yeah and it's it's run at such low power it's you know it doesn't produce very much light right hardly an ideal light bulb yeah. but the warehouse has you know the revisions that are much better and they put out plenty of light to cast down from a very high warehouse ceiling onto the aisles which mind sense. you lighting the warehouse wholly with incandescence would be a gross amount of electricity yeah which... you don't see a single warehouse these days or even 50 years ago that uses incandescence to uh, light their shop yeah, it's floor. A, yeah it's all those big Back then, it would be all the, all those big fluorescents. I have no idea if these days, uh, I don't know if they've moved to those LED bulbs in warehouses yet. But you know, uh, there's certainly the new hotness here in my house. They are very popular. Uh, lots of times, you can convince the electric company because the electric company would just like for you to use less electricity when you're a big factory or something. Yeah. So they will just like pay to upgrade your lighting. Huh. So yeah, a lot of plants get uh LED retrofits that replace their uh fluorescent lights. Uh some plants don't even have fluorescent lights. They have uh sodium lights, which are actually extremely energy efficient as far as lighting goes. Huh. They're just annoying because they have like a 30-minute warm-up. Oh, I can <laughs> where the light that. is just dim and purple. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds about right. It rules. Of course, the elect like the electric company, at least around here, will also pay for you to get LED bulbs. Like if you go to the the store, there's a little like placard that says, you know, 
Puget Sound Energy is making these bulbs several dollars cheaper. Please buy them. Oh, fantastic. Not that I need an incentive. They, uh, I replaced one of the old incandescents that burnt out of my apartment with an LED bulb, and like suddenly the entire place is several times brighter. Yeah. Yeah, you can, uh, you can get a lot of light output out of those. Uh, they don't like dimmer switches much, though. Yeah, yeah, they do that, um, flick, they do that flickery thing, but... Right. <laughs> joke's on them, this place isn't nice enough to have dimmer switches. <laughs> For whatever reason, the previous owner of this house I'm living in wanted dimmer switches everywhere. Like... They were the new hotness back in, you know, a couple years back. In, you know, the 80s. Right. Yeah, and they are really nice. Like, I have a dimmer switch for my bedroom lights. They're very nice. Mm -hmm. It's nice to be able to wake up, turn the lights on real dim. But, yeah, the, uh... The lighting in the warehouse is, you know, from 1900 or so. Yeah. Uh, Claudia makes a passing comment that... Uh, apparently, some of these bulbs last 108 years. So yeah, apparently they were installed in 1901, because I believe we are still in 2009 in yep. this show. I think so. This is still season one, after all. Right, yeah, there are... Uh, fans will try to establish timelines based off of context clues, and basically a season corresponds to roughly a year. But if you get right down to it, certain things don't work out that way. Yeah, that makes sense. There's a, you know, I'm a I'm a fan of the Ace Attorney series, and if you look at the, uh, if you look at any fan wiki, all the characters have like ranges of ages and birthdays, because every game has a little, you know, you can bring up the court record, and there's little profiles for all the characters that include, you know, name, age, gender, and a little biography, but like the the people who wrote these down didn't bother to, like, make the ages make sense. Okay. So, like, you know, Miles Edgeworth could, you know, was born in either this year, somewhere in this range of years. Right. Yeah, like, they appear in multiple cases and they, uh... Yeah, because, like, They have a... different ages that don't quite work. Yeah, and, like, it'll be consistent, like, within, you know, shorter periods of time like you know the first game Maya is 17 and the next game she's 18 because like a year has passed but once you've made you know there's a lot of games there's you know a dozen or so games out there and the timeline doesn't always 100% match up right yeah I've never gotten into Ace Attorney but I've always uh I've always sort of appreciated the style of it I like I like the games a lot I will I will talk about them at length if you let me. I mean, I like it enough that uh, I uh, record a Let's Play for the series with uh, some friends of mine. Okay. Yeah, the, I, uh, I'm i kind of that way with uh, Metal Gear Solid games. I'm very excited that Mads is uh, watching Let's Plays of, uh, of Death Stranding uh, because it's really entertaining to hear Mads talk about... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the gender, uh, <laughs> the gender issues within uh, the Death Stranding universe. Uh, those were good posts. Yeah, God, it's uh, the the best way the uh, 
the Phoenix Wright games have ever been described to me is it is a game that will make you come through logical deductions. <laughs> like you will destroy a man on the stand with nothing but logic and reason and evidence. And it will feel really good when he foams at the mouth and collapses because you just proved that he extremely did it. So you're saying it's the Scott Adams of video games. <laughs> don't you don't you bring that evil in here. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like Scott Adams has the exact Scott Adams would make an excellent ace attorney bad guy because he's a he's a complete asshole who you would just love to see destroyed. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <sighs> Uh, so yeah, we've we've gone from the warehouse back to the prison, yes. uh, where Micah and Pete are meeting with the warden. It's mentioned in passing that no new inmates have uh, come in for the past three months due to uh, overcrowding within the prison, and sometime during that time, this warden took over uh, for the last warden. It seems reasonable. Do we ever learn why the old warden left? Or just retired? I or believe whatever? it was retirement. I, yeah, it makes sense. I think in the photos they showed, the warden had uh, achieved an advanced age. Yeah. So, yeah, it it makes sense. You don't you don't spend the you know the last years of your life uh, being a cop for uh, for making sure that people are punished or something i don't know prison is bad yeah like i'm i'm sure a prison warden is a somewhat physically demanding job and you know also if you're a i assume being basically a cop you get a pretty good pension i mean it's very much a management role yeah and i think it very much depends on the sort of prison you're operating yeah. in i'm sure if you're running one of those country cl club prisons for you know, rich assholes, like, you're fine, but... Oh, yeah. And, uh, private prisons, you're probably compensated pretty well because you're essentially the CEO of ruining people's lives. Yeah, no, your job is to skim <laughs> as much off the top as possible. Uh, you know, be me. Right. You know, fuck with these prisoners. And, uh, you know, collect your check from the state. Right. Deliver to your shareholders. Yeah. <laughs> But uh make sure they uh make sure they can't get any books or anything from the outside. They got to pay for those. Right. State prisons probably pretty decent, but I'm guessing the pay structure is a lot more uh equitable with the prison guards who uh you know are just cops, but yeah. I mean, prison guards don't make a whole ton of money. No. I don't know why anyone signs up to do it. Well, I couldn't cut it as a cop, maybe? It's definitely easier to get into as a cop, and yeah. if your thing is beating people up, oh boy, you'll get away with it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Just indefinitely. It's encouraged, even. Yeah, yeah. If you like, do if you like doing racist violence, good news. The state will pay you. Right. It's probably more dangerous than being a cop. But, yeah, it's uh, not a good career path. If you're considering that career path, uh, just simply don't. Yeah, if, if you want a dangerous job, you could go fucking collect garbage. 
do something useful. Right. Yeah, you'll be appreciated by your community. You'll be compensated. Uh, okay. Yeah. Not you, as good as uh, it once was, but pretty okay. Yeah, you get to work outside. Yeah. Which is a boon for some people. I don't. Oh, I totally. Would not want I mean, to. depending on the part of the country you're in, it can be a real boon. Yeah. If you uh, if you live in the snow belt, uh, maybe it gets old. Yeah. Keep picking up the trash. It'll keep you warm. Right. Yeah. And if you're used to working outside, it will never bother you. Yeah. Like, you have to dress for it, but it'll never bother you. Yeah, like, if, if you work a job because if you're the kind of person for whom you get to work outside as a boon, you know what you're signing up for. You know where you live. Right. And I've always found, like, if I'm out riding my bike to work in sub-zero weather, I'm fine. But if I don't do it for a couple of days, it's really cold. Mm, you gotta get used as to it. As long as I don't stop, mm -hmm. the cold never bothers me. Yeah, that makes sense. <sighs> yeah. We, uh, we see in the inmate who uh, jumped over the balcony and died, uh, he had a drawing of an Ouroboros, uh, which is not how uh, the man inside of the computer told me it's pronounced. But the way that they said it, uh, I've never heard anyone say it that way, so I'm going to go with the one I've always thought it was. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Micah uses a different pronunciation, uh, and... I think Pete uses the same one that I use. Of what? Ouroboros. Yeah, I would say Ouroboros. I've never heard it pronounced any other way. Uh, I saw Ouroboros, like Ouroboros, hmm. which is just changing a couple of vowels in a, a, we a weird way that I wouldn't expect. Also, apparently it's different between American and British English, so... Yeah, I can see that. Maybe just go with whatever you feel like. Yeah, like, I'll be honest, I <laughs> I assumed it was Ouroboros because that is how I first saw it written, playing City of Heroes as a child. Right. <laughs> I have no, like, authoritative reason for why I believe that. If you're at home and you're not familiar with what we're talking about, this is a... Uh... A uh, symbol within Greek mythology, uh, and it's represented by a, a snake eating its own tail. A snake screaming at its own ass. Right. <laughs> it is distinct yet similar to the hoop snake of American folklore. Now, see, I'd never heard of no hoop snake. Oh yeah, it's a, uh, it's a. Uh, I forget the term. A uh, a, a cryptid, a uh, or a folk animal like the like the jackalope. Yeah, I love the folky term for it. Hold on, there's a very good uh, term that they use for these. I'm I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. Is it fearsome critters? Oh yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, uh, in the. Uh, in the time of tall tales, we had some fearsome critters out there, and they, the hoop snake was one of them. It's a snake 
that would uh, latch onto its own tail and roll along down the road at you. At the end, when it was time to strike, it would unfurl itself rapidly, allowing it to jump several feet through the air. Today, Wikipedia says, the term may also be applied to similar fabulous beasts. Which is unfortunately just a link to legendary creature, and not a link to a fabulous beast Wikipedia article. I would love to meet a fabulous beast, personally. The two genders are fearsome critter and fabulous beast. (laughs) (laughs) So, we're introduced to an inmate uh, played by Joe Morton. His name is uh, Reverend Joe Hill. So first, Micah gets a vibe. Penis talking to the warden, and Micah, you know, we get that sort of weird screen effect that we usually associate with Pete getting a vibe. And uh, she sees a ghost from her past. Ooh. She Ooh, sees uh, that guy who died in Denver, whose name I did not write down. Right, who she's seen as a ghost in the past as well, under the influence of a different artifact. Hmm. Mysterious. And uh, now. We meet the reverend, who the warden says, quote, killed his wife a lot. Yeah, but he seems to have uh, found Jesus in this prison, and he spends what seems to be all of his time preaching about finding peace within yourself and overcoming uh, grief and fear. And regret. Right. Big thing is that uh, you can't live your life full of regret for the things you did or whatever. And it is worth noting that once again we are seeing a uh, actor who plays a major character in the series Eureka, which takes place in the same universe, but he is not in his character as uh, as Doctor Henry Deacon. He is now Reverend Joe Hill. Oh. Yeah. In the next season, we meet uh, some characters from, or a character from Eureka that is in character as his character from Eureka. You want to say the word character a few more times? Get out of here. Yeah, the the situation is a little complicated, but bottom line is there's it's never addressed in either show the striking resemblance between uh Eureka and Warehouse 13 characters that have nothing to do with one another. <sighs> Look, you already have the folks around. Might as well. Right. I I do think that uh, sci-fi's casting pool is not very deep. No. Like, you know, you already have the actors around. Like, you already have a contract with them. It's like, hey, you want to be the guy in Warehouse 13? Huh? Huh? You get to die in this one. Yeah, show up for a week. uh, Get paid. Do your thing. Might as well, you know. Hey, bud, you want to do some acting? Do some good acting? And I will say, I I do very much appreciate the work that uh, Joe Morton has put on in these 
uh, various sci-fi series. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Morton, if you're uh, listening, feel free to drop us a line at uh, warehouse69 at tuda.io. Uh, we'd love to have you on the show sometime. Yeah. Uh, and if any prison guards are listening, fuck you. <laughs> uh, so I believe after this, uh, so after, we're back to the warehouse. Yes, after being denied access to Artie's cherry picker, uh, we <laughs> Claudia stumbles upon a- Alessandro Volta's lab coat. Which, quote, temporarily increases biomagnetism. She puts right. it on, makes a remark about looking good in a lab coat, which, you know, the lab coat does not flatter Claudia, but I will tell you, I, do, I cut quite the figure in a lab coat. I look fucking good in one. It is still a very cute outfit for the whole being a giant bag thing. Yeah, like she looks like good in the those... goggles rule. Yeah, like she she looks very good in those goggles. And uh, the she... mitts maybe not such a good touch, but I dig the lab coat, I dig the goggles. Yeah, like you know, I I have my personal gay biases. I think I think she would prefer a uh, you know, one that's tailored a little more like the one I have like cinches around the waist a little bit to it's weird that there that there are such a thing as gendered lab coats it's like <laughs> oh this is a lady lab coat it has to make you you know to show off your curves it it's strange it's like got an inse- a seam there and everything but it does look good yeah I'm... so interesting fact uh, on Alessandro Volta he uh, made the first uh, viable battery that was used in some sort of electrical circuit. Ah, neat. Up until that point, they only believed in bioelectricity. Huh, neat. So it's a nice touch that his lab coat was something to do with harnessing bioelectricity. Huh, it's a good lab coat. It's a good touch. See, normally I, I get kind of whatever. It's like, oh, this, this artifact was created by... Uh, Mike fire breath so it lets you breathe fire it, it's nice when they're more subtle I guess and it's not yeah. quite as great man theory of history ish I mean he still was yeah. you know a guy uh, like he was famous enough that they named the volt after him like right but you know less so at least and it's nice that they were trying to find someone to I mean in this case, they wanted something magnetism-related. Yeah. But they went with... They went with the human body as if it was the source of the magnetism. Which, it's it's a nice touch that, you know, his work specifically disproved the idea that the only electricity that could be harnessed is bioelectricity. Yeah. And yet the thing makes sense. Like, you know, there is bioelectricity. Electricity and magnetism are the same thing. Makes sense. Uh, and uh, which she uses to Spider Man up to the light bulb that yeah, she wants to change. Which honestly, hell yeah, it's a good, it's a good idea. I'm proud of her. Right. Yeah, she says something like Magneto, eat your heart out. <laughs> I am Magneto, master of magnet. Unfortunately, on the way up, uh. Two paper clips and a key find their way to her face. Yep. And uh, 
This is a harbinger of things to come. Oh, yeah. Pete, uh, we're back at the prison after that, and Pete is, uh, Pete considers Joe Hill to be a freaky cult leader. Yeah. He, uh, he claims he's got crazy eyes, which, I mean, uh, I do think that, that they managed to portray an intensity in Joe Hill's stare mm -hmm. that is a little unsettling. Yeah. Yeah, I would be unsettled if I were looking at him. Especially, like, you know, he's he is always ready to, like, he never, quote, break, he never breaks this, uh, preacher kayfabe. He's always ready to, like, you know, oh, our regrets hold us back, and so on and so forth, like, Right, but what we know of his background is that he's a uh, violent, uh, he is a violent offender being held, so it's it's hard to take a look at this guy who is outwardly the preacher and, like, overly intense and not think a little bit about how his background is truly dark, apparently. Yeah. Like you, you kill Although one, they... you kill one wife, and suddenly everyone thinks you're some creepy murderer. Is that it? Is that it? Right. She was probably going to take his house anyway. <laughs> uh, uh, which episode of of Warehouse Thirteen do they meet American Wife guy? <laughs> God. Lewis Carroll was fucking wrong. He said cellar door was the most beautiful phrase in the English language, but he never heard American wife guy. Yeah, he never heard don't marry an American woman. <laughs> Join the don't marry movement. <laughs> but doctor, we're both the American wife. So the storm is getting more intense, and so are these uh, visions of whatever you uh, feel, feel most guilty or fearful about. Yeah, we... Uh, all, all within this prison. Yeah, we find out that the, uh, the storm... Uh, well, let's see, Pete sees his... Uh, Pete starts hallucinating. He sees his uh, firefighter dad. Right, yeah, dead dad is here. Uh, we, uh, uh, one of the prisoners, uh, the prisoner who died at the start of the episode, we talked to his friend, the doctor, who, uh, blames himself for the prisoner dying, and we, un we recover an audio log of his final moments. And, uh, right. then we find out that the storm resonates with the crisp, with the quartz that the, that the prison is made out of. Which causes yeah, there's these some, hallucinations, I guess. There's some noise captured on the recording that is apparently a uh, 10 kilohertz tone, which is not what it sounds like, yeah. by the way. Like, that's, uh, it's not higher pitched than human speech, and so it's, it's just not. But, yeah. you know, we're, we'll, uh, we'll give the effects department you know, a pass yeah. on that. Uh, it is interesting to see 
that Pete doesn't want to touch the dead guy. Yeah. Which, uh... Yeah, the the doctor is there dead, and they're looking for his recorder, because every doctor records audio of his, uh, autopsies. Uh, yeah, just, just audio, which, at the very least, is a thing I have seen in TV shows. I guess it makes sense, right. like, if you're... But it seems like, for a modern, I mean, maybe in 2009, not so much, but for a modern coroner, it doesn't make that much sense to not video film. Yeah, not vil, as they call it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, In in 2009, I don't know what the state of digital recording was, but I don't think it was all that great. I mean, it was certainly there, but, like, sure, you can record it on a 2-megapixel webcam. Yeah, yeah, our, uh, like, the prison system isn't, the prison can't even pay for, like, more space. You think they're gonna buy you a, you know, buy you a camcorder? Right, like, camcorders were pretty nice back then. I mean, this film, this show was certainly shot on digital. Yeah. So, like, and it looks great. Like, it doesn't, uh, show its age like certain older digital shows. Mm -hmm. Like, Prograde gear was very good in early 2000s. Sure. But this broke-ass prison isn't going to buy any of that for their for their doctor who, you know, presumably if someone, like, dies in prison, you have a pretty good idea of what happened. You don't... I'm shocked they're even doing an autopsy. It doesn't make much sense to me. Yeah, I... Like, there were guards there watching what happened. You know, I'm sure you have to, you have to have the guy take a look and like figure out what happened for legal reasons or whatever. Right. It seems like you would draw blood, do a tox screen, see if he was on anything that could make him hallucinate. But like, you've got numerous people who can testify to exactly what happened. Yeah, and so I'm, I'm sure it was a, a mostly perfunctory thing, though. The the guy who died was in fact a apparently a close personal friend of the doctor. Right. So who knows? Maybe he wanted to be double, be extra sure. Who knows? But yeah, he was you know recording on his little very two thousand nine looking little digital voice recorder thing. Right. Because it's not like you want to take paper notes while you're wrist deep in dude. Right. I I'm kind of disappointed they could have really uh gone all out and found an old yak back for him to record into. Uh, why are you recording? Why are you doing autopsy reports on a talk bar? Why are you doing autopsy reports on a talk bar? <laughs> Just answered your own question. Ah, uh, let's see. This fucking audio log ass shit. Oh, this is Bioshock. Oh, I sure hope no one finds out the secret door code is 3227. My birthday. Right. <laughs> we see, uh. Pete is talking to Joe Hill again and had to cut his conversation short because Micah has seen Sam again and is wandering off somewhere. And he's. He's pretty freaked out by, uh by Reverend Joe's whole deal anyway, so he, I think he wasn't particularly upset to cut his conversation short. Mm-hmm. 
but he is very concerned with Joe Hill's Ouroboros uh, necklace. Which Joe seems to think uh, doesn't hold any particular significance, but it's a symbol that represents... Uh, what does it represent? I well, don't know. An Ouroboros usually represents some sort of unendingness or infinityness or what have you. Yeah, like cyclic renewal, it looks like. Death, rebirth. Yeah, you know, as one does. Yeah. Uh, and how we have to move on, or this or that. and uh, But, you know, Pete takes it and uh, dunks it in the goop. Right. And despite Pete dunking it in the goop, as the storm grows stronger, it doesn't seem that uh, we've done anything to improve the situation. Although I believe Pete and Micah just leave. I kind of thought they stayed at the, the prison the whole time. I thought they left and then had to turn around and come back immediately, because, like, the warden was very mad at them. Yeah, well, and the they warden... They took his thing, put it in the goo, the, the warden... and, like... Oh, yeah, because the warden gets mad at them, and I don't know if it's here or if it's later, she says something like, you know, you know, you come here, you, you know, you just cause a scene, you break your promise to tell to keep me in the loop. As soon as the storm is over, I expect you to leave. And I'm calling up a different team of federal oh, okay. investigators. So they are waiting out this tropical storm that's rolling. Yeah, because it's it's pretty nasty. Like I Yeah. It seem I would not want to be driving in that. Yeah, for sure. Uh having experienced a tropical storm once, like the next day, we were stranded for uh, several hours waiting for water to drain away in Louisiana. Damn. And eventually we drove out, but uh, water was still halfway up the doors of our old Chevy Blazer. Damn. Let's see. Uh, oh, um, before this, there's a scene where Micah takes one of the guards walkie-talkies and uses her oh uses yeah we, her girl uh, scout magic to turn it into a metal detector but it keeps going off and apparently and that's how they figure out that it's, it's they say it detects minerals i don't know yeah, she, that much about i don't know that much about metal detectors but i i don't think they detect quartz quartz isn't a metal so she describes it as the speaker uh, can pick up VHF frequencies. Uh, I don't know that that's the case. Speakers are silly microphones, so like... I mean, it's very possible that you have to filter out VHF on a microphone anyway, but I don't think... That voice coils are particularly reactive to VHF anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it's kind of fabricated for the sake of moving the plot along. Yeah. Uh, I think you, you would... If you... Because it already says like it's something mineral. They know something mineral is doing something weird. And... If you can guess right, that like... That was one of the possibilities he, he threw out there. Yeah, before... Uh, I think right before he hears Claudia tapping SOS and Morse code on the pipes to get his attention, because she is in something of a predicament. 
Yeah, she's found herself to become more and more magnetic. A bicycle came flying from off the shelves to uh, nearly strike her, hitting the girders before it reached her. Uh, numerous objects throughout the warehouse are flying toward her. Yeah, so I think the... Uh, I think uh, Micah's train of thought was something like, we're looking for something that is vibrating. A radio is something that can pick up vibrations, which is correct. That's what tuning a radio right. frequency is. And so, Yeah, they do some hand-waving for the technical end of it. Like, it certainly... It's not that unbelievable that you could modify a radio to do something along those lines. It wouldn't have anything to do with the speaker, probably. Yeah, the... I think the speaker is a red herring, given that it is a radio. It has a thing in it that is designed to pick up vibrations, but regardless... I mean, I'm sure some speakers have approximately the correct length of wire to be a particular uh, size antenna. Sure. So maybe. Yeah, who knows. But, uh... But, yeah, we've we've discovered that uh, maybe there's just minerals everywhere. Yeah. And then they, and then they find out- We find, historically, this is a, uh- This was built on a quartz mine. A prison mine. built on top of a quartz mine. From quartz, because there's quartz right there, you might as well use it. Right, yeah. Rocks are rocks, baby. Yeah. And then they find- Yeah. <laughs> Who cares? And then they find out that, uh- yeah, well, why didn't this happen when the... Why did... Then Pete and Micah, like, start talking to Artie. He's breaking up because of the tropical storm overhead. Uh, he says something about where the thing has to be placed. And tells him they're looking for a big hunk of quartz in the previous Warden's effects. I do think that uh, the Farnsworths are probably unaffected by the... Uh, by a normal storm. Yeah. I think it's the quartz resonating with the storm electricity. Yeah, it's it's getting uh, messed up with the weird shit interference that is surrounding them. Yeah. Which, it would be nice if, uh, if it were a little more consistent what the, uh, what the interference was, because it goes from 10 kilohertz, which is like audible tones, to very high frequency, to... Who knows whatever frequency bands Farnsworths work on, mm -hmm. which they seem to have infinite range, so they're uh, pretty much pure fucking magic. Yeah, and they work if you're underground or surrounded by concrete or this or that. Right. But apparently they don't work uh, if you're surrounded by quartz that is just vibing. Yeah. Look, if you're surrounded by weird shit, it makes your other weird shit not work. Right. Which is maybe even more justification to just use a cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I kind of doubt a cell use phone would work. Use some normal all shit. I kind of doubt that a cell phone would work all that well in a prison like this. It's not like they, you know, build cell towers nearby, and this built and the building is, I would imagine, pretty hostile to cell phone frequencies. But it, right. who knows? Who knows? Whatever. Quartz is metamorphic, isn't it? I think so. It's, uh... Yeah, I'm pretty sure finding 
quartz in any large quantity in Florida is uh, maybe really unlikely. Well, uh, Wikipedia says it is the second most abundant mineral in Earth's continental crust behind feldspar. Which would, okay. which would imply that it's... Uh, well, let's see. So, you know, it's not unlikely. Yeah, I guess if it's extremely common, it's kind of hard to believe it's not in large quantities anywhere. Mm-hmm. It is a mineral, not a rock, which I think means the, uh, the, uh, asking whether it's metamorphic doesn't make any sense. Oh yeah, it's a crystal, so it, uh, it, like grows by depositing more of it or whatever it is a like it can be dissolved in water yeah oh it's been way too long or since something. i like took any sort of geology or chemistry class but uh a mineral is a very different thing than a rock a mineral is like a is a kind of pure st- structure of molecules consisting of the same the same chemical all the way up. Like quartz is silicon dioxide the entire way. Right. Anyways. Uh, rocks is rocks, baby. <laughs> uh, if you're a geologist and you'd like to be on the show to come yell at us, please drop us a line. Uh, uh, let's see. And while this is going on, uh, Artie uh, goes out to Claudia and... Uh, Yells at her, you know, she's very apologetic, and he starts working on some kind of magnet situation to, yeah, I guess, it looks like demagnetize he's... her. Yeah, it looks like he's got something resembling an older uh, defib- defibrillator, but he's tied a little, uh, a little horseshoe magnet to it yeah, and is like swinging it to toss at Claudia and it just like sticks to her face. Yeah, because, you know, it's a magnet. Right, and she's a magnet in this case. And magnets is gay. Well, (laughs) you could argue that electromagnetism is the most heterosexual force because, you know, North Pole attracts South Pole as opposed to gravity, which is the gay force. So, uh... We've found that riots have broken out at the prison. All hell is breaking out. Oh, I hate when that happens. And uh, they're trying to work out how to deal with it. Uh, Micah ends up calling Artie in the midst of all of this to try and get some feedback. And Artie's in the middle of trying to bail Claudia out of the mess she's in, which could kill both her and Artie by uh, collapsing the entire warehouse into a little ball of everything metal. Yeah. She asked him to sugarcoat it more next time. Right. And as they poured over uh, old photos of the uh, previous warden, they spotted a cross hanging on the wall in his office and they dig through his stuff and find this cross. It's a big quartz cross, probably mined from the historical mine. Cool thing to have in your office, I guess. Yeah, like, I can see why you would, uh, I can see why that would be a good thing to have. 
you know, I'm not a, I'm not the religious sort, but if I was like this guy, a big quartz cross seems pretty cool. Right. And he was the religious sort. Yeah. He, in fact, believed that it was extremely important to how the prison continued to operate as it did. Because we find that the prison, before this guy took over, riots constantly. Mm -hmm. It was just, like, untenable. Like, it was bad. Uh, while he was there, everything was fine. He leaves. And suddenly, there's a storm, and all hell is breaking loose all over again. Ah, damn it. So, uh, Claudia and, or, Micah and Artie talk about, uh, Artie's breaking up, but he's like, you gotta put it exactly where it, where it was, because resonances and stuff, it cancels it out, and then everything will be fine again. Yeah, which, yeah, sure, why not? It, he makes it sound like he's, like, uh, yeah, he makes it sound like there's some, like, Oh, yeah, it's gotta be exactly in the... But he's breaking up. We don't actually hear what he says, but... Right. They just kind of... But they get plenty to get the gist of it. Yeah, eventually they uh, they wind up in the warden's office, put... We're getting our head of our... I'm getting out of myself, but... They right. figure it yeah, out. Yeah, the, the next barrier is that the warden has locked herself in her office and is having a freak-out moment. Yeah, she is also hallucinating. The uh, They're getting better. Well, not better. The hallucinations are getting worse, and uh, to the point where Pete and Micah are really having to fight this shit off, and the warden is having an episode in her office and has barricaded herself Which in. She, yeah, and Pete decides that he's going to bust the door down with his shoulder. Unfortunately, the door to a warden's office in a prison? A little stronger than an average door. Yeah, uh... If I were a prison warden for some goddamn reason, like, I can see why you would want a, uh, a reinforced door. Right. Yeah, and, uh, Micah also can see that and knew that it was happening and managed to tell Pete after he smashed himself into the door. Ah. <laughs> uh. But they're trying to get this cross put back in place. Uh, they're unable to get in. But Joe and the boys, they've discovered they're the only ones not affected by hallucination. Joe and his true believers who have overcome regret and fear. So they go marching up to the warden's office. And are telling Micah to stand aside because she's not sure what they're all about, but they want into the warden's office. And you can figure in the middle of a riot, they probably don't want to do anything real good for the warden. Yeah, though uh, the Re Reverend Hill does explain, like, the warden's always been good to me and I'd like to help her. Right, yeah, so he's explaining that he's taking the door off of its hinges. Something that Micah and Pete should have been perfectly capable of doing themselves. Yes. But we come to find that uh, it's lucky for them that they did not. Because the warden is uh, still in the midst of her freakout, and she has a gun in her office. And uh, as soon as the doors open, she shoots Joe Hill. 
Right in the Bible, baby. Uh, I hate when I get shot in the Bible. Uh, we're kind of cutting between uh, that end and over in the warehouse where uh, Artie has changed course because he noticed a semi-truck is moving through the warehouse being mag magnetically attracted yeah. to Claudia. I thought it was more like, it struck me as more like a, looked like an army vehicle of some kind. Definitely like a big truck. Like not something. It had like a commercial hit. name on the si mm. side of the door. Huh. So it could have been like a tow truck or just some sort of heavy truck. Huh. Alright. I saw it painted olive green and assumed military. But yeah, fair enough. She is if this continues, she is going to get hit by a flying car. Right. So Artie changes course, busts out a crossbow. With some string tied to it, he uh, and... he breaks the antenna off the the vehicle. Oh, okay, yeah. And loads yeah. that into the into the crossbow. And he's gotta shoot it up toward Claudia, but without hitting her. Yeah, I'm not I'm not real clear on this. It seems he hits the bike tire and it sticks in it. Yeah. So Artie's maybe just like an immaculate shot. Yeah. With a crossbow. Then, like, he throws a switch, and all of the magnetism goes away all at once, leaving Claudia to come crashing to the ground. Onto a... But he's thought of it. Inflates up. He inflates an emergency raft. Right underneath her. And... Kicks it underneath her. She's fine. And... All of the metal comes crashing down right next to the raft. Yep. And next time we see her, she's getting the Bart Simpson treatment and has to write, you know, <laughs> something. Oh, yeah. Which, like, does that actually happen? She writes, I, I noted this, uh, she's writing, I will not disobey Artie <laughs> over and over and over. Yeah. At, at least. While Artie's playing the piano. Yeah. At least, probably at least two blackboards worth it, as far as we know. Does that actually happen? I, I have only ever seen this in cartoons, where you have to, like, when you're in trouble, you have to write, I will not whatever on the blackboard. Uh, I had a, an English teacher who was really big on this sort of thing. He once assigned it to our entire class, and I wrote holding three pens in my hand yeah. so that I could get three times as much done. <laughs> did, that, did it work? <laughs> uh... He accepted it for the ingenuity. <laughs> it was ugly, but it worked. God, what a... Because there's no way that fucking works. Like, you're gonna sit... You're gonna sit there the whole time, like, stewing and... You know, rah, 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 yeah. Right. You won't quickly forget about it, but, like, it's the sort of punishment that breeds more resentment than anything else. Yeah, it will not... Which is not... It's not a particularly effective path for punishment. Yeah, no, it's it's vengeful. It's you know, it's Right. And a good punishment instills a sense of responsibility for your action, but like the sort of re repetition of, you know, some sort of mantra like that, it doesn't do that. No, it it it's acceptable if, like, you're 
looking at it through an authoritarian lens, like, I can force you to do this, so I will force you to do this. Yeah. So you misbehave again, and you will be forced to do something similar to this again, or worse. Yeah, I will make you do this shitty, tedious, busy work. Right, but that's not how you do jobs, generally. Like, yeah. it's not how you build effective teams. Yeah, like, he he is punishing her like a child. Like, this is the... This is the Bart Simpson treatment. This is like, right? This is not something and you even would, with children. Th- yeah, it's not an effective. No, uh, it, it doesn't fucking work. Like, right? It clearly did not. Yeah, work the problem for, is it clearly did not work for Bart Simpson. Yeah, the problem is millions of people across the country are just kind of working it out as they go. So, like, yeah. if you've seen it in in pop culture, you'll replicate it within your own acts and like without much assessment as to whether or not it's effective. Yeah, like, Artie is old enough that it's it that it's possible that he was forced to do this in school at some point. Right. And so there's a sort of perverse, like, oh, now it's my turn, or this is how you punish someone, which is... Right. A lot of our punishments are handed down culturally, yeah. not based on efficacy, but based on the fact... That at some point someone felt it would work. Yeah, like, this is... Like, if I were in Artie's shoes, I would make her, like, okay, now clean up this shit. You know, your punishment is, like, cleaning up the mess you made. Like, that's... That is a reasonable situation. Like, not... Okay, you have to, like, do this shitty busy work so that I can luxuriate in how bad you feel about it. And then you have to clean up, presumably. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not great. Like she made a mess, she can clean it up, you know, like there's a bunch of stuff that needs to make its way back to the shelves. Yeah. Like that's good punishment because it it instills a sense of responsibility. Yeah, like I made a mess, it's mine to deal with. I deal with yeah, it. Yeah, like it allows her to make amends, like, you know, okay, I finished. I, you know, atoned for my mistake. I and B, right. like, she knows why you don't do that. Like, she... You know, yeah, and... Because this Especially... Yeah, especially when the punishment is to... Fix the mess you Deal made. with something that nearly killed her. Yeah, like... Like, you don't turn around and, like, not learn your lesson. Yeah, like, she learned... Because... She learned her lesson very... As soon as that bicycle hit her, right? Right. And, like, at the end, you see the entire warehouse is twisting as if it's ready to collapse upon yeah, both of them. like, you both like, almost no... died. Like, this is not a... Yeah, there's... This is not a I will not... This is not a I will not smuggle rats to school in my pants situation. Right. And if you do snuggle, smuggle rats or snuggle rats to... Please school don't... in your pants. It's very cool. Yeah. It's a very cool way to be. Please do not. I'm... Please do not make rats go into your pants non-consensually. They are nature's friends. Right. Please be nice to the rats. But pet rats, pretty cool. Yeah. If a rat wants to be in your pants and you're okay with it, then cool, whatever. Yeah. Right. Live your life. <laughs> and if you are a rat and you're listening to this podcast, hell yeah, we'd like you to be on the show. Right. Yeah, you're. You seem like you could be a friend. Yeah. 
In fact, if, if any if any animals are out there listening to this, and you'd like to be on the show, and you can send email, we have an address for you. <laughs> email us, warehouse69 at tuda.io. Uh, but, uh, so, uh, to go back to the A-plot, yeah. this isn't exactly how it worked out. We resolved the B-plot after the A-plot yeah. in person. Yeah, we have the, uh, yeah, we have the, uh, Claudia's Bart Simpson punishment and her heartfelt moment with Artie after, after that. After right. the uh, life or death situation at the prison is resolved. Right. Uh, but they bust in, uh, Joe gets shot, they... Pete throws the cross on the, uh, on the wall where the nails are still hanging. And ripples flow outward from it and then everyone comes to their senses yeah, everyone seems fine except for joe hill who is dying still on the, shot yeah dying on the floor <laughs> and he seems okay with it i kind of read that as he's dying like yeah he's he's found that now's his time uh this is just how it goes you done good joe i guess Something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, like, he, he doesn't really seem like he wants medical treatment. Right. Yeah, and I think uh, part of that is he talked about, you know, they asked him about seeking parole or whatever, and he's like, no, this is just what I'm called to do. I think, in part, he has paid his penance and found God or whatever, but also, he knows what he did is not something society can ever forget. Yeah, because he, uh, yeah, exactly, because that's his whole thing is, uh, that, that was a conversation he and Pete had earlier, which is, you know, you know, he says something about, like, how he doesn't regret what he did, and, in fact, not regretting what you did is, like, kind of the message that gets Pete and Micah out of there, because they both have this a flashback to, like, being confronted by... Pete, his dad, Micah, her partner. Right, and Pete frees himself. Yeah, Pete frees himself because he's, you know, he kind of brings up- Because the, he's dealing with trauma from when he was 10 years yeah, old. Yeah, and like his- like, and Yeah, he, and his ghost dad is arguing with him, and but now Pete has the presence of mind to like, A, know that this is not his fault. Like, he was 10. Right. Like there, He's had a lot of time to come to and, terms with- who he is, what he did, what he didn't the, the do, what he could have done. There was, kind of as we said back in the first episode when we talked about this, A, not the first, yeah, the, the pilot, A, there was really nothing he could have done. Right. B. And he even says that in this case. Yeah, and B. He says he would have gone to work either yeah, way. Yeah, and B, as you said back, back in the first episode, like, even if Pete's dad, the firefighter, had known he was going to die saving two kids, I think he would have done that. Like, right. he would have, you know, that's kind of his yeah, job. Yeah, that's what you sign up to be a firefighter to do. Yeah, like, that's, yeah, that's his job. I, you know, maybe this is reading too much into Pete's dad, but, you know, seems like a happy ending. You know, that seems like, if you're a firefighter, I mean, that's kind of how you explain yeah, if, you always want to go home to your family, yeah. but like, if you're going if to you die, really want to not ever die in a fire, you stop being a firefighter. Yeah, if, if you have to die <laughs> firefighting, this would be the way to do it. Right. 
Yeah, it wasn't a meaningless death. Yeah. Yeah, this is kind of what you signed up for, and Pete's dad, I think, knew that. Uh, and so, right. and so Pete, you know, kind of echoes some of the Reverend's lines about, you know, regret. I forget exactly what he says, but, like, you can't let regret rule your life, even though Pete earlier was like, you know, y- you know, because the Reverend keeps preaching about how, regr- you know, you can't regret what you did. You have to accept it. Which, right. at the time, makes him sound like a remorseless murderer, but now we kind of understand what he was talking about. Right. And it's interesting, when I was sitting down and read and watching this and making my notes, I, I didn't even have that thought. But sitting down and talking about it, it really, like, they wrote a lot of depth into this character. Yeah. I don't think this was accidental. Yeah, like... That's the really cool thing about this episode in particular, is it's like, yeah, you know, the Reverend is set up as this bad guy, but, you know, and because at first he looks like the bad guy because the uh, the guy who dies at the start of the episode was once one of Joe's true believers, but he left the flock because he, you know, was trying to get parole. And right. which, may, which is why Pete and we, the audience, think that, uh, oh, he's using his, his magic to kill people. Right. But we later learned that no, the reason Joe and his flock aren't affected by this is, you know, they have no regrets. This is the whole thing he right. is teaching, and yeah, that is what. So helps. the building and that it just happens to target your regrets and fears, because that's the sort of thing that can drive a person to, yeah. you know, especially if you to do things, yeah, like especially if you are in prison for something. But you know, as we learned from. The doctor, like, even if you've done, even if you haven't done anything you're being punished by the state for, you know, you still have guilt. Right. Yeah, I mean, and I'm certain amongst doctors, there's tons with horrible guilt. Yeah, I've seen scrubs. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, even the warden seemed to have some... I don't know if hers was more... We don't really get to see what her situation is we don't see inside her flashback she seems like she's i know she thinks that the prisoners are going to kill her or something or if it's something more complicated than that right i think there were uh there was a mention of her being her feeling responsible for deaths of inmates Mm -hmm. which is an interesting level of nuance as well yeah which i wonder if this show had any guest writers or something because it's really interesting to see them pull out this sort of depth of character. Yeah, this is a this is a really well written episode. I know we've we've given the writing the business before, but this is a a genuinely very well written episode. And then right, you know, Pete goes and helps Micah, and even the conceit of like literally arguing with the person you you know your mental you know simulation of the person you killed, and they're trying to like talk you into feeling bad and. You and, in Micah's case, your friend, Pete, has have to help you, like, no, you know, he was the one who, who didn't go, who was early. He didn't follow the plan. This is on him. You can't keep blaming yourself for this. Right. Yeah, and it's good. It builds the relationship between Pete and Micah, which... It, it is the direction they wanted to take it. Like, they... They don't have as antagonistic a relationship later on in the series, so, like, 
this is how you sort of build to that. And it it works from a character standpoint, and it works from historically what Pete has been doing. He's always been very supportive yeah. of Micah. Yeah, they give each other the business, and sometimes Pete crosses a line with his jokes, and I don't mm-hmm. think he... Uh, I kind of wish he would get called on it at some point. Yeah. But... Uh, I think he views it as more jokey when it's really hurtful stuff. Yeah, which is... Like, I get it. I've been a shitty dude before. I get it. Like, I can understand how, like, you know, that can feel funny, but it's... You know, come on, Pete. You're an adult. Like, maybe don't make jokes about going to prison to your partner who is... Clearly, yeah, to a work colleague. Yeah, to your yeah, a your work colleague, the person you have to spend time with, who is b clearly upset about the death she feels responsible for. Come on, right. come on. But here we see some of genuine Pete doing uh, his very best to support his partner, yeah, like, which I think is what he really wants to do. Yeah. He, like, yeah. And yeah, and even earlier he was. You can read that as him trying to lighten the mood. He is. He's not trying to right. hurt Micah. He, you know, he is. Right. He doesn't really know how to. He doesn't really know how to interact with this sort of situation without making a joke. And I get that. Like I'm. I've been there. Yeah. But even after this, he like just says, "This happens later." There's some other stuff I want to talk about before then, but he does say like. Hey, if you want to talk about stuff, like, I'm here. Right. And this is also some, like, some real interesting character depth. Which is good. This is... Like, this... As opposed to the sort of, like, weird half-character depth we get earlier with, like, just throwing out these backstory moments. Like, hey, remember Pete's death... Sister? Cousin? Because I bet you the show sure right. doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know that we'll uh, ever hear about that again. Uh. But, yeah, the... This particular episode really kind of knocks it out of the park. This is a good episode. Probably my favorite so if far. If anything, makes me a little disappointed in a couple of our past episodes. Yeah, like... I have nothing to complain about with this episode. It's it's solid. I don't have anything. Right. Yeah, there's some, you know, little silly plot devices that, like, yeah, they don't make sense from a technical standpoint. Yeah, but that's not, they, they are, that's not important. They are reasonable in this, in the bounds of this sci-fi original television series about, yeah. you know. They're narratively fine. Yeah, about They're, magic lab coats. Yeah, they're technically a little meh. Yeah. We have to have something to talk about. Right. Yeah, and... Oh, uh... Let's... Glance back through. There was another artifact featured that I think I wanted to mention. There were a lot of artifacts in this episode because uh, Claudia became a magnet. Yep. So yeah, we had the Shelby bulb, which burnt out, and... uh, Claudia ended up throwing to the ground. Uh, yeah. Pretty normal stuff. Uh, oh yeah, I... 
I think I looked up Adolphe Chalet, the guy who designed the Shelby bulbs. Nothing real interesting there. Uh, that was William Tell's crossbow. Oh. Uh. So who knows? Maybe it's anything some... fired from the crossbow can hit any target, no matter how far away or where it is located. Well, that would make sense. That would uh, explain. That's why he was using a crossbow. Tycho Brahe's uh, prosthetic nose effects unknown. It's just one of the uh, random objects that uh, is laying around on the shelves that Claudia is uh, taking inventory of. Yeah, that makes sense. Just alongside the Venus to Milo's arms. Right. George Washington's teeth. Uh, which, interestingly, George Washington likely never had wooden teeth. Mm-hmm. Although he also almost definitely did have a set of lead teeth. That's worse. Yeah, a lot worse. And I know he had, didn't he, was it slave teeth he had, or am I thinking of someone else? Or am I thinking of nonsense? I think at some point he had ivory teeth, which, not slave teeth, certainly not a great thing, because they're carved from elephant tusk, like, Mm. but, you know. If you had to make fake teeth, it, I guess it makes sense to make them out of a larger tooth. Right. <laughs> Carving teeth into smaller teeth. <laughs> wonder how many teeth you can get out of a tusk. It's gotta be a lot. You would hope so. What's the conversion rate? <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so there wasn't there wasn't any uh any other artifacts that I wanted to bring up mentioned. Just the just the prosthetic nose. Yeah, I just I was choking I was checking to make sure that there were nothing really uh interesting that we passed over because it's it's an entire warehouse full of shelves and shelves of interesting shit. Mm. And it's always fun when they feel the need to put something interesting in, but not make it a focal point in the episode. Yeah, it helps the world feel more alive. They, uh... uh, The last thing I have here in my notes is, while Pete and Mike are having their heart-to-heart, Pete says, uh, we're having a girls' night, which in South Dakota means we're going out for ice cream. I'm not... Is he referring to, like, Claudia and... Uh, or a lady name i forget lena is he referring to claudia and lena are those i believe so are those the girls he's taking out for ice cream i believe yeah he is having a night out with the girls which is to say he's going into unaville with claudia and lena to grab some ice cream and he's offering to bring micah along he's you know i'm taking them out for a night on the town which in south dakota means ice cream which I resent that. There are also <laughs> South Dakota also has casinos and uh, bars, at least. But uh, and the Corn Palace. <laughs> yes, if they were anywhere near Mitchell, they you you could tell it was not actually filmed in South Dakota because they would have gone to the Corn Palace by now. <laughs> yeah, they're so, like, they I are in the it, middle of nowhere. I can see the scene where like Pete sees the Corn Palace and is like. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think I found it. And then, like, he has has to have it explained to him, like, no, it, the corn is not at the corn palace. That that's what that building is always like. It's not an artifact so, that turns things into corn. I'm shocked that we haven't made it into town yet. Yeah. Because there is a local town called Unaville, and which is uh, where the bed and breakfast is. Yeah. Uh, yes, ish. I believe the bed and breakfast is pretty close to the warehouse, so it's outside of Unaville. Mm-hmm. But I think it's close to Unaville. Yeah, because I think when we, I think the first time we see the bed and breakfast, there's a sign that says like "Welcome to Unincorporated Something County." Yeah. Yeah, because Unaville is unincorporated village. Mm, cute. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Uh, but this is interesting because the very first time we do meet the town and its folk, uh, Pete is trying to recover his things because they had his apartment in D.C. packed up and shipped out that to makes him. Sense. So he just doesn't have any of his things. And as I've talked about before, they kind of have been trying to imply that a lot more time passes th- between episodes. Yeah. So how long, how long did it take them to, like, pack up Pete's apartment? Right. And, like, it, it's a nightmare to just, like, not have any of your things. Yeah, like, like, he showed up with a suitcase like, or whatever. Barely more than the clothes on his back. Yeah. yeah. If you are ever in South Dakota, specifically in the uh, in the Rapid City area, they do have good ice cream there. I recommend Armadillo's. Which was uh, always the go-to place when I went to school there. Armadillo's ice cream City. and I think it's ice cream and food. If you're listening and you'd like to be on the podcast or sponsor me, Drop us a line. So, Rapid City, uh, right off of I-80. So, it's easy to, uh, easy to find. Any other local businesses in South, in Rapid City, South Dakota, or nearby? If you drop us a line, I will probably talk about you on the show. I've lived there, <laughs> I lived there for long enough, I probably have an opinion on you, and I can count on one hand the number of things about it I didn't like. Water. And I probably shouldn't. Oh yeah, if you're a unicyclist uh, in Sa- Rapid City, South Dakota, uh, I actually might end up out there sometime. There's a uh, there's a small club that's pretty active. I uh, I know the guys out there. Hell yeah. Yeah, good sort of family group. Like it's really small, but they. Uh, they have a lot of fun going to nationals, and so I see them every year, except this year it was canceled. Yeah. Hell yeah. Which is a bummer. Yeah, I, I can see why. Darn, uh, darn pandemic. Yeah, it's it's been disappointing. But yeah, I, I know they're near the Black Hills, which looks like it's right there. Yep, uh, kind of nestled into the Black Hills there. Oh yeah, right near Mount Rushmore. Yep, uh... It is close enough that whenever someone comes to visit, they always want to go see Mount Rushmore. Okay. Which is, you can see it from the highway, by the way. Yeah. Sweet. Like, the... the <laughs> Gotta love the interstate system. The, the trick they pull with Mount Rushmore is that the monument itself is free, but parking costs, it's like, costs money for an annual pass. 
Oh, okay. And it's all, like, the the parking is private, so if, if you have any sort of pass, it doesn't count. Your pass is good for a year, but it's, like, key to your license plate. And okay, also, yeah. like, it's just a piece of paper that you're absolutely going to lose. Right. Yeah, so... Who really wants to spend that much money to park to see some, uh monument to american imperialism yep. made by some racist dude yep i should know i've seen it many times <laughs> uh also if you're in if you're in rapid city check out jerry's cakes and donuts they got some good donuts I, I should... all right jerry's cakes and donuts armadillos <laughs> i i got them on the list Tilly's silver spoon if any of you would like to sponsor warehouse 69 drop us a line at warehouse sixty nine at Tuda IO, is that right? Yeah, hell yeah. Uh, that was maybe drop us a line more than once. The spam filters on Tuda Noda are real weird, but I should catch it. I keep an eye on it. But yeah, that pretty much wraps up the episode. We've uh. We've wrapped up our A plot. We've wrapped up our B plot. I think that's about the end of the episode right there. After uh, Pete and Micah have their, do you want to talk about it? Micah says, tomorrow. Yeah, that happens after uh, Claudia's Bart Simpson blackboard moment. Yeah, and Claudia and Claudia and Artie like, talk about his dad. And, you know, she says how, because earlier when she was asking him about the cherry picker, it was kind of implied that Artie's dad is dead. And, and right. he was mad at her for asking about it, but uh, he, and he eventually clarifies that he's not dead, but they are estranged. Yeah, and Artie is hoping that this song will help help them get back together after the years he's been working on it, which is strikingly poetic for Artie. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not something you'd expect to hear from him. Yeah, it's he's never really struck us as a musical sort of guy before, but here he is playing the piano. Right. He and Pete both. Yeah. A couple of pianists. Yeah, out of the blue. Uh, oh, uh, also worth mentioning is uh, how much of a uh, big-time Rush fan Pete is because he sees the Ouroboros and can't stop talking about the Rush album Snakes and Arrows. <laughs> oh, okay. So he is a fan of the band Rush. He is not a fan of the band Big Time Rush. <laughs> right. Which was a, a, oh, yeah. Which was a boy band that was very big in 2009. <laughs> I definitely did not remember that Big Time Rush was something that existed. <laughs> it's okay. I don't think anyone else did. Ah... Uh... Yeah, like when he tosses the uh, Joe's necklace in the goop, he uh, he says goodbye, snakes and arrows. <laughs> uh, also, later on, we apparently they gave Joe his necklace back after it clearly failed to stop the things going on. Yeah, we see it. We see them give it back to the warden, who presumably gives it back to Joe shortly yeah. thereafter. Fair enough. That's good for them. And I think that's about it. Any closing thoughts? Yeah, I think... Uh, I, uh... 
I'm really glad that this episode has things sort of coming together. And honestly, I think we have more of those coming. It, it's interesting because we've established some of the players in the overarching story, but we're not doing anything with them. Like, we didn't do anything with them last week either. Yeah. Like, McPherson was mentioned in passing. Like... It's kind of confusing how they brought this around, mm -hmm. because if they shuffled things around where they put some more of these episodes that don't reference McPherson in season one, they could have just made season two have an overarching uh, yeah, story. instead of having one episode with all the plots. Right. Yeah, and we'll see. Maybe it's just because they want to have people hook to see where this McPherson plot goes. It was week to week, but, like, it's hard for me to imagine them trying to write in some sort of hook, because episode four, the night it aired for the first time, is still the best-rated episode ever aired on sci-fi. Uh so, like, they don't need any more audience at this point. This thing is a smash hit. Mm. Like, there is no reason for them to be putting in effort to draw in more people. They really just want to maintain the audience they have, mm. because th you can't really imagine it getting yeah, bigger. It's, it's hard for them to go up from here. Right. Yeah. The idea that you're going to pull people off of the more mainstream network to watch a sci-fi series... It it doesn't seem all that likely to me, and I doubt it did to them at the time either. Yeah, like if I'm watching Law and Order or whatever, like that's that's good. You're unlikely to make the leap to oh, but what if what if it was about a uh, cops who sought out magic nonsense and what have you? Right. What if there was a what little if more? There were a bunch of hand wavy, yeah, like strange things that happen. Yeah, what if it was a little bit more X-Files, but also not the X but also not the X-Files. Right. Yeah, I mean a little more X-Files probably a good thing. X-Files is I'm pretty sure a good show. I've never yeah, seen I've it. Yeah, I've never seen it either. I was going to say not as good as X-Files, but it felt weird to say that when I have never seen the X-Files. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's good, though. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about it. It certainly has its uh, its place as a cultural touchstone for a reason. Not that right. not that everything that is popular is good. We we know that all too well. Right. So yeah, I think that's uh pretty much a wrap on this episode. Yeah, it's a good episode. I uh I hope they keep up this level of quality. I'm rooting for them. If you're saying something, I can't hear you. No, I'm not. Right. Uh, yeah, we probably just want to close it at this point. Right. Well, once again, thank you all for listening. Truly, it was a Warehouse 13. We'll see you all next week to discuss Season 1, Episode 10, whose name I don't have in front of me right now. I'm going to say mayonnaise. It might be mayonnaise, or it might be they, they usually pick like, stalling for time, stalling for they time, usually stalling pick for like, time, breakdown. Oh, breakdown. See, they, they usually pick like more poetic names for this, like regrets or burnout or duped.
all a feeling like a ghost in a shell I wrote this in jail, playing host to a cell for the pure verbal They said my sentence was equivalent to murder, just another hurdle I bounced through a portal, I knew they had the mind state of mere mortals My ears morphed to receptors that catch up Every word about gravity control and the families they hold for handsome ransoms On the run with a handgun, blast bioforms I am warned that a planet-wide manhunt with cannons will make me Abandon my foolish plan of uprising Fuck dying, I hijack a mech Control it with my magical chance So battle advanced through centuries of hip-hop legacy Mega speed, hyper-warp the automators Cribbing light the torch, they can't fight the force Victory is ours once we strike the source Enterprise and wise men looked at the horizon Thinking more capitalism is the wisdom in prison All citizens empowered with rhythm We keep the funk alive by talking with idiots